Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Coach Cass. Learning all they could to help plan for the birth of their child was very important for Cass and her husband. Yet they felt that when their questions and concerns were brought to their care provider, they were either ignored or dismissed. Making a tough decision at 33 weeks, Cass and her husband transferred their care to a midwife, and today Cass will be sharing that experience with us. Hello, Cass. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Hey, Danielle. Hey, Laurel. So Hi. excited to be here. <laughs> and nervous all at the same time. Oh. I feel like you're going to be in my business. Oh, snap. <laughs> don't be nervous no it's just like conversation with your girls 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 day since we're recording during the daytime you know we're pretending we're at brunch we can do that Ooh. okay (laughs) i want chicken and waffles and a mimosa please all of it yes well Cass, can you please start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family Um, Myself and my family. So I'm a love coach for professional women. I'm Jamaican by heritage. I'm a New Yorker by raised. I live in sunny South Florida. Um, I have an amazing husband who's Haitian and I have a little Jamaican named Ava and she's three. So that's my family. We are often found Zumbaing and doing family picnics on the grass outside. (laughs) I want to that. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I heard was, come, Danielle. Come with us. Come Let's do it. Y'all wait till the outdoors open again. We coming right, for Right, right. Yeah, yeah. The, the family picnic is literally right outside our building, like downstairs on this patch of grass. <laughs> what is that like right now in Florida, oh. then? Oh, man. So I don't know. We're just in our condo. Um, We are blessed because we have a huge, like, community park behind our building. So we go for walks, we go for bike rides, and we do family picnics. We've done two so far, and it's my daughter's favorite thing to do. So this whole quarantine situation has kind of been a blessing to to see her personality, to see who she is. And I'll tell you, at any moment, she wants to play Jump by Rupee. If you don't know that song, it's a soca song. Jump, and she's just jumping around the place. It's, it's just beautiful. <laughs> Yes. Look at her finding joy in this this time, yes. this yes. moment. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell us about your pregnancy. Um, how did it all begin for you? How did you find out you were pregnant? All those things. Oh, well, how did it begin for me? Mm. <laughs> well, you know where babies come from, right, Danielle? <laughs> yes, <Hallelujah>. I do. <laughs> Um, So let me tell you, I remember that um, my husband and I had been married for almost a year and change, and his brother sent me a text saying, it's time. And I said, it's time for what? He's like, it's time for you to get pregnant. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You see, we had told our entire family that we were going to wait two years to have a baby. This man calculated how long it would normally take somebody to get pregnant and sent me a text for the timeline so I would have a baby by the two-year mark. I'm like, you got to be kidding me Mm -hmm. right now. Like, this is bananas, (laughs) right? Like, all in your personal business. (laughs) 
So I went to my husband. I said, well, I guess, you know, like, I guess it's about that time. So <laughs> let me take this IUD out. And he's like, what? I'm like, well, you know, I have an IUD in. So in order to get pregnant, we got to take it out. He's like, ah. I said, look here, as an educated woman, if I think about it too much, I won't take it out because, right. you know, you start to think of all the responsibilities of being a parent and da 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 da. And then I'll be 47 with no child. So <laughs> I'm going to just take it out. Okay. We're taking it out. And it's so crazy. I actually went to YouTube to figure out how to take out my IUD. And um, I was like, this should be simple. <laughs> just reach up there and take it down. And so um, I called my OBGYN. <laughs> Uh, which is my sorority sister. And uh, she's like, Cass, if you don't come into this office tomorrow and just let me take it out, I'm going to be very upset. I'm like, okay. So she saw me the next day, took it out, and that was the beginning of our journey. Now, what was crazy, y'all, is, you know, all your wife, all your wife, all your life you're told, don't get pregnant. Yes. Don't get pregnant. Whatever you do, don't get pregnant. So now all of a sudden, it's okay. It's okay to get pregnant. It was just so strange. It's like, all right. So every time... You do something, you're like, am I trying? Am I not trying? Of course you're trying, because if you weren't trying, you won't be doing anything. So then you end up in this whole situation in your head, and then it's no longer romantic. Like, this whole romantic making a baby on purpose situation is not it. It's like, no, what cycle am I on? You know, somebody told me this. You know, if you if you go to the chiropractor, it aligns your body. And then, you know, every other day after your cycle is biblical, you know, on day, on day, off day, you'll be pregnant. I'm like, okay, you know. <laughs> taking all the notes of how to get pregnant. I'm like, man, this isn't as, as easy as they made it seem when I was like 16, 17. You know what I mean? Like, what's up with this? Right. Anyway, so we go to Costa Rica. And this is when Zika was going on, y'all. Right? Remember Zika? Mm, yes. Like, all these things come and go. So remember Zika with the yes. mosquitoes? So we went to a spot where there was some Zika. And I was like, oh, man, I hope we don't get Zika because, you know, I don't want a small-headed baby. Right? And um, so I was there spraying my husband. We spraying each other. Spray, spray, spray. Long story short, um, on my birthday dinner, for my birthday dinner, it was like three days after my birthday, I remember peeing on a stick because when you were trying to get pregnant, you pee on a stick like every day, right? Like, am I pregnant today? Maybe I'm pregnant tomorrow. Maybe I'm pregnant again. You just go to the Dollar Tree, buy a bunch of <laughs> pregnancy tests. And, and I had two lines. Like, oh my gosh. So here we are ready for my birthday lunch. Yes. And I um, put it on the bed with a little sticky note. And I said, you're going to be a daddy. So Andy, my husband walks out of the shower and he sees it and he's like, oh my goodness. And he says, you can't tell anybody. That's the first thing he says. Cause we were going to lunch <laughs> with like 15 of our family members. He's like, you got to zip it, right? Zip it. And so that was the beginning of the pregnancy. It's so interesting. Like, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit, but when we bring up like when people are trying to get pregnant and how we do like most of our lives, it's like, do not get pregnant. Don't do it. And then when it's finally time, it's like you're learning this whole new concept of like what your body does. What is the process of what is the actual process of conceiving? Because, you know, what we're told is you have sex and you gonna have a baby. That's it. Right. So don't do it. But there's there's layers to that understanding like your cycle and ovulation and all of that that we don't even discuss, which is just important to know in general. Mm -hmm. But it, 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 everything I think does come to a point when you're actually trying to conceive. You're like, wait, I didn't know this part of myself. At um, all. And then it's total confusion when they want to count it back to like some random time of your period saying you were right. pregnant from your period. I'm like, no, but I didn't have sex on that day because I wrote down every single day that I had sex. So this... 
this doesn't make any sense in your calculation. Like I'm confused. <laughs> Why are we adding these extra days? <laughs> yeah, seriously. What is that? So then you start thinking, did I drink during that time? Oh, hell, oh. I hope my baby comes out okay, okay? right? right. <laughs> and the actual pregnancy is a worry. Like, I was worried. You know, even though I love my Jesus, I, I'm sorry. I was worried every single day. I'm like, man, I think I drank a mimosa in the beginning. I'm not mm. sure. We were at an all-inclusive. And if they said I was pregnant from this time, that's why we were in Costa Rica. And, ah, right? And so you're just sitting there like the next test. And you think about the next thing. And you have all these questions, the questions mm. after questions. Overall, I had a very healthy pregnancy, right? So I was good. I was healthy. I felt sexy. Like my belly was, was nice and juicy. My yes. booty was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, boobs were like, woof. It's like, oh, I don't need to get any breast implants. This is fabulous. So all of me was feeling fabulous. I did a box yes. subscription with Latote. And they sent me clothes every, what, every month, every week, whatever, that I would have new outfits. You know, I didn't want to be that one in the same outfit for like 10 months. No, no, no. I, I had the different outfits feeling fabulous. Okay. You can tell me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so thinking about like your overall pregnancy, like you said, was, well, what were some of the things that you all were doing to prepare for your birth? Um, uh. Um, and I'm, you know, thinking about you saying you, there were so many questions, this Girl. Was something you were thinking about throughout the pregnancy. So before my baby, I knew nothing about a baby, right? So I didn't babysit. I didn't hang out with babies. I didn't touch babies. I looked at babies from far away and said, hi. You know, that was it. Both my husband and I were of the belief that if you touch like a newborn or something, you might break them. So we didn't, we didn't mess with babies, you know? And so I was like, okay, God is trusting us to have our own. So we need to get this together. So I dragged my husband to every single class at the hospital. I'm talking about from breastfeeding to diaper changing. There was a daddy boot camp. There was the infant CPR. There, there was how to feed. Like there was a class on everything. We took every single class, right? So he wanted to like shoot himself. He's like, if I take one more class, I'm gonna die. So um, I just remember in the process, you know, as soon as people see that you're pre pregnant, these are the things that would upset me the most. And it, and it made me buy the <laughs> website, what the stupid ish that people say to pregnant women, right? So, so <laughs> it's like, it's, I didn't do anything with it, but it's just like, this is just some stupid stuff that people say to pregnant women. It's like, oh, you're pregnant. Let me tell you this horrible story of what happened to my sister's cousin's best friend's puppy you know and I'm like why would you say this when I'm already nervous and I just don't know what's gonna happen right so you got to tell me this and then they would try to touch you like never would you ever reach for my vagina right on a regular day but suddenly when there's a child somewhere close to it you're rubbing all on my belt like this is bananas so these are the things that would just irk me to another level, y'all. You know, another level. I'm like, what is wrong with people? Seriously. Yes. And then they'd like bring up, when's the next kid? I'm like, the first one's still in here. <laughs> right? And then I remember towards the end of my pregnancy, so many people be like, oh, get a bucket. She's about to pop any day, any moment. I'm like, get a bucket? Why would you say that? <laughs> You know, because I would be speaking on stages from Vegas to wherever, you know, so wherever I would go, people would, people would say stuff like that. I'm like, that is my worst nightmare to catch my baby in a bucket. Like, don't get me, don't get me started. <laughs> so yeah, in terms of the preparation, it was definitely 
<laughs> a mindset situation. Mm -hmm. But I remember mm -hmm. going um, to, not to, like to my OBGYN, but actually to her superior, because sometimes she'd be in labor and delivery. So I would see the person that oversaw the office, right? And I would go and ask this lady questions and she just wouldn't answer them. You know, you go to OB and you expect them to answer and be with you. It's like, no, no, whip, bam, boom, you're good. And it's like, wait, but I have a question about this. Well, what about my birth plan? And I would be told, oh, your birth plan, that never works out. Oh, your birth plan, well, when we get closer, I'm like, but what if we don't get closer, right? Like, what if we don't, what if I go into labor tomorrow? She's like, well, the birth plan's out the window anyway. She's like, more than likely you'll be induced. I was like, induced? Why would I be induced when I want a natural situation. Well, actually at the time, let me tell y'all, I took a childbirth class at the hospital and then they showed me that epidural needle. Whew, he. And then they were talking about, you know, it might not go. It made me think of one of my sorority sisters that told me she got the epidural and it didn't hit. And she, they kept pressing a button and she was like, I feel everything. And they didn't believe her. And she still got the bill for it. I was like, wait a second. So they put this huge needle that is connected to a tube that's connected to a box and it may or may not work in my back, I'm, I'm needle phobic. So that's when after that, I started to think about, well, maybe I could do this natural thing. You know, if I squat, cause I started to, they, they talked about squatting at the hospital I was at. I was like, okay. So I asked the doctor that overseed my OB. I said, look, you know, can I squat when I, when I deliver? She was like, squat, like in Africa, who's going to get under there? How do I get your Ooh. baby out? Mm -mm. And just the way that she said it, I was just like, I'm done. Like, this is, I don't feel good about this. And that's yeah. when I found out about that documentary with Ricky Lake, The Business of Being Born. It's never a good sign when your care provider, one, isn't answering your questions, but has already made up in their mind what they visualize your birth to be instead of allowing you to be the dictator of that. And so you had, you had wrote in your submission that after that, you then switched to a midwife and pretty late in your pregnancy. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, girl. That was I, was, like. <laughs> I was 33 yeah. weeks pregnant. So pretty much you can have a baby any day, you know, 33 weeks pregnant. And just the way I was feeling, you know, down in your spirit, like this, this yeah. doesn't sip, sip right. Because, yeah. you know, when, when you're having a child, your OB even though she was close to me, may not be the one to deliver your baby, right? So then it could be her overseer, it could be somebody else in the office, it may not be her. So that's one. Number two, the hospital where I would have to deliver at was 45 minutes from my house. So me and my husband started talking about it like, yo, that's a really long drive to be in labor. Number three, this whole not eat for however long, so anyway, after watching that movie about the business of being born, which I would tell all your listeners to watch on YouTube, it's just, it just started to talk about, you know, the C-section rates and how many doctors actually do Pitocin and C-sections and all these things. And I started to think about, you know, like I actually know a lot of people that had C-sections. And so I just very casually posted on Facebook because my husband was like, we can't just go off of this one movie and, and name it as the Bible as what we believe. So we got to, you know, you got to find out some extra information. So I just posted on Facebook. I said, look, ladies, for all of you who have had a child, how many of you had a C-section? or had Pitocin. And about 90% of the women who were healthy, who were young, who were, you know, all good, ended up with a C-section with Pitocin. I was like, you see, now that right there, I got an issue with. You know, like, you gonna tell me that all these people 
all these people needed a C-section in Pitocin? Mm-mm. It's like maybe two people were like, I had the natural birth that I wanted. So I asked friends who had a baby at a birth center and I asked them who their midwife was. And her name was Mimi down here in the Hollywood birth birthing center in Florida. And um, I reached out to her, right? I went to meet with this lady. She sat with me for an hour, y'all, an hour, and answered every single question I had. It was in a very small, intimate space. They showed us the different birthing rooms. I got to choose my birthing room, which was the seaside room that felt like the ocean. Just the whole thing was just so calming. I was just like, wow, I could call her. And when every every um, appointment after that, which was only like maybe five, right? Um, Every appointment after that was just so peaceful and not rushed and just beautiful. I said, this is the bomb. Why didn't I do this before? I feel like a celebrity, the way that they treat me. You know, it's kind of like one-on-one service. Like, this is just good. And I tell her my worries and then she'd appease my worries. Well, number one, my house is seven minutes away from the birth center, right? So that was one one concern, like, okay, seven minutes. If anything happened, the hospital was four minutes away. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then she would be the one to deliver my child, literally blocking off her schedule for around my due time so that she would be there for me. So for me, it was just like reassuring and that she was in line with my birth plan. You know, I said, listen, I want to have my baby in the bathtub. I want it to be dark. I want it to be just us and no parents, no nobody, just just us. And she said, we can do it. And just the fact of her saying we can do it, even though we all know birth doesn't go always as planned. The fact that she reassured me like I'm in line with you and she listened just made a huge deal to me. What was the process like for you to actually um, transfer from your OB to the midwife? Did you have to do anything additional um, other than just saying I'm leaving? (laughs) Oh, oh, girl. So I had to pay up front in full. Right. So uh, I think at the time it was about five grand. Right. So they don't do payment plans. They don't do insurance. You know, it's like take the money now. Right. That was something else that bothered me with the whole hospital situation. Every time I asked them how much would it cost in total, nobody could tell me. They're like, oh, well, we don't know what, how it's going to end. That's what they tell me, the front desk staff at the hospital. Uh, you know, you might have a C-section, you might not, you might need this, you might need that. So we never know. I'm like, but can you give me a range? So it really bothered me that no one could give me a range of how much money this birth was going to cost. So the fact that the birthing center was like, look, it's five G's and that's it. It actually gave me peace. I was like, okay, so I have a number to work with here versus maybe something, another, maybe your insurance will cover this. Maybe it won't. I'm like, I'm not trying to leave out of here with a $20,000 debt. So because you hear the stories. And then I had to get my files transferred. So breaking up with my OB was was it was tough, right? Because my actual OB is my sorority sister and I chose her on pur- purpose because she's someone close to me. So it was tough for her not to take it personal, right? When it really wasn't personal, it was really something with me that I decided for me, which had nothing to do with her, you know? So it was really tough to say, you know what? I, I want to go this other route. She supported me, but it definitely did impact our our relationship, you know? Um, and she even said she wanted to be there for the birth. But then my husband was just like, no, because, you know, it's two different schools of thought, you know, in terms of going to the hospital and not, and you don't want that 
imposing in terms of your actual birth, right? So um, it, it, was, it was tough. And then to get the paperwork sent over. So they sent over all the pregnancy of my, of, my, <laughs> of my pregnancy. They sent over all the paperwork to the midwife. And it was just crazy to know how many times they tested me for an STD. I was just like, how many times did they test me? Like, how many tests did I have? You know, and it's just like, wow, you don't really realize the amount of testing that goes on. And part of you is like, yo, this system is crazy. You know how much billing they do for different tests that are absolutely unnecessary. So yeah, I got a whole book of tests that I normally would not see, right? Because they don't show you um, your file at the hospital. So it was cool to get a copy of my file and sit down with the midwife and walk through it and talk through it. That was actually a, a beautiful process to have someone sit with me. Yeah. That's an interesting point. I always make it a point as, as a doula to have my clients do that, like whether they've had a pregnancy before or if it's their first, like after you've had your pregnancy, to actually get your medical record and see what was said of you, right? Mm. Uh, and what was done to you because yeah. it's important to pull the whole picture together and to really see, well, what happened here? You know, and that's whether it was positive or a negative experience, right? You just, you should know. You should know the story, especially as told by your provider. Hmm. It's a different vantage point. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so tell us about your actual birth experience. Ooh. Hallelujah. Yeah. All right. So it was about 10 a.m. and I started to feel like some, some sharp pains. And so I was like, I think, I think this is it. And this was maybe five days before my due date. So my due date was originally November 28th and um, I, oh no, the 23rd. So this is the 22nd, right? So November 22nd is the day that I, I started feeling the pains. It was about 10 a.m. And I had a couple of meetings that day. So I still had my meetings, <laughs> right? And then I drove to the birthing center at, for a 3.30 p.m. appointment. So I had an appointment that day. So I was driving in labor with contractions. And I was talking to my husband on the way there. I was like, yo, I don't think I'm going to make it. You know, I don't think I'm going to make it. And I remember driving to the birthing center and he made, he met me there. I let you know that I dragged my husband to every single doctor and midwife appointment. So shout out to my husband for actually complying. I was like, look, I didn't get pregnant by myself. So I'm not going to anything by myself. Right. So I have to birth this by myself, but everything else you have to be there. Right. So I appreciate him for just having the flexibility um, in his business as a storyteller and helping entrepreneurs to, to put a pause on his day to come help me. So at 3.30, we went in there and she's like, okay, you're in labor. And so she checked me, right? And um, she said I, I, I wasn't dilated yet. So she kind of dilated me one centimeter. Whew, hallelujah. Whew, whew. That's when the came. And um, she said, oh, you know, go home and rest, take a nap. You know, naps happen after that. Y'all a naps. You in labor. Mm -mm. So for the rest of the night, I'm there on the ball. I'm there in the chair. I'm there in my tub. I was playing Christmas music at the time. You know, I had made a playlist. Okay. And then I had like a birthday playlist for my daughter, Ava, to come to the world. Girl, after a time, I was like, I don't want to hear nothing. Turn everything off. 
now. And I remember I didn't call my doula till like 10 p.m. And my midwife was like, why did you wait so late? I was like, oops, <laughs> I didn't know what time to call her. I didn't know what I was supposed to know. So she came over with her daughter, which is pretty awesome because her daughter was learning how to be a doula too. They were there to support me, you know, and what was so beautiful is that, you know, everybody that was a part of the process told me that you couldn't tell that I was in labor, which is crazy, right? Because I was so calm. So I had, I had read that the screaming and the shouting and all those things don't actually work to help you in having birth. It, it's just, it's, it doesn't help you. So it's better that you just breathe. So I was there breathing y'all, you know, I, I listened to the hypnobirthing CDs and all that stuff. So I was just breathing and like, okay, these are surges. And what really helped me is that my husband, every time I felt, uh, a, a surge, a contraction coming on, I'd tap my leg and then he would put his two thumbs into the bottom of my back, like really hard. And that helped to counter pressure my contraction. So that really, really, really helped me. And I'm just grateful for him, right? So after a couple of hours of this, you know, the contractions got short. And so my midwife said, okay, it's time for you to come over. So this was at about 2 a.m., right? So we had been up all day. So this is about 2 a.m. So we get over there. That was the longest seven minutes of my life. Okay. Woo. Hallelujah. That was a long, long time, right? So a whole seven minutes I get there and she and her assistant are there and that's it. Nobody else is there. I was a little nervous because somebody was having a baby earlier in the day in my room. And I was like, no. God, you told me that was my room. It's my room, right? So that lady was gone. It was already cleaned and it was ready for me, girl. I was so excited. I was like, yes, they got in and got out. And so, so we got in the room. They got me in the tub. They gave me some snacks, you know, eating the whole time because it didn't make no sense for people to just starve you while you're going through this whole situation. And I... um. And I just sat and it was in the dark. So they had one candle and that was it. And my, my midwife just told me, you know, you will know when you're ready to push, like you will know. Right. And I said, I think it's about that time. Right. So she kept looking and checking and just to go back to the checking. Another thing that I wasn't down for is I found out that at the hospital, many people come in to quote unquote, check you. And it's like, what is all this checking about? And then all these random people in and out of your hospital room and the bright lights and all the random folks. And then I also found out that you have to fill out paperwork when you're in labor going in through the emergency room like who wants to fill out a whole book of paperwork when you're in labor like so these are the things the additional factors that I was not interested in um, going the hospital route so the the birthing center route all paperwork was filled out welcome you are VIP literally you feel like a celebrity y'all so I walked in or hobbled in or breathed into the room, got in the tub and we were just there in silence. And it was just nice, you know, just the running water. It was warm. They were bathing me with it. And then my husband was sitting behind me on the tub and, you know, when it was time, you know, I'm there breathing through it. And I thought I was pushing and my midwife was like, you, you ain't doing nothing. You, you're not pushing. You just, you just breathing right now. <laughs> I was like, what you mean? I'm just breathing. I'm pushing girl. She's like, no, you got to do like you're taking a dump. I was like, oh, you didn't say that. Okay. <laughs> I thought that when you hold your breath, your baby can't breathe. So I didn't want to stop breathing and then my baby can't breathe. Right. So, yes. so, I, so I'm like, all right. And then, you know, literally in three pushes, she was out in three pushes. 
I delivered my baby, literally three pushes, and I raised my baby up out of my birth canal onto my belly. I was just like, wait a second, did I just deliver my baby? Like, wait a second, like, you (laughs) I just delivered my own baby. Like, Mm -hmm. what? Now, when you you hear about that, like, oh my gosh, that was so crazy. I just, I... I delivered my own baby. So here was my baby on my chest, a live human being. That was just bananas. Yeah, it was it was just a, a beautiful moment. In preparation for this interview, I rewatched the video and I was just like, wow. Well, you know, the the coming out part was like, whoa. And then when <laughs> he hit my hit my chest, it's like, oh my. Gosh, a live little human. Mm-hmm. Now, what am I supposed to do with it? <laughs> you at the birthing center. You gotta go home. <laughs> exactly. Right now. <laughs> right now. Gonna watch you for a little bit. Right now. <laughs> it's time to go. So okay. So. Baby was born around five forty a.m. And what was so beautiful is that golden hour where they are in total silence and let you just bond and do the skin to skin. Another thing that I looked up about, you know, at hospitals, they wash off your baby and it's like, no, don't wash the baby off yet. You know, that stuff they're supposed to keep on and the placenta, they kept the placenta attached for an hour. All these extra things that the hospital doesn't do, which is what brought me to my decision to do the birthing center. And I just remember looking over at my husband and just saying, wow, you know, this is just so beautiful. He's there bonding with her and holding the placenta and just just holding her tight. And we played the song, Isn't She Lovely by Stevie Wonder as the first song that she would hear. And that was just so beautiful. What wasn't beautiful is that then my midwife told me like, okay, it's time to stitch you up. And I'm like, huh? What you talking about? She's like, yeah, you have a third degree tear here, so we need to go ahead and sew you up. So they took me to the edge of the bed, y'all, and it's some lidocaine, and they got to sewing. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't know that I did. I, you know, you, you just in the moment, the adrenaline rush, you know, the ring of fire. Okay, you got that. You didn't know that, oh, there's some stuff to pat, some patchwork that needs to happen here. So you'll be all right. So that, that was that was tough. And then the whole pushing of the stomach situation, they didn't tell me about that either. You know, in all the classes that I took, I realized they don't tell you about what happens after the baby comes out. Like they skip that whole first six weeks of craziness, right? (laughs) So that whole pushing on the tummy, I did not, I I didn't like that at all. Um, And then my first, my first meal was a turkey sandwich from Subway. Now, thankfully that, that turkey sandwich was right next to the birthing center, but I didn't eat turkey sandwiches for my entire pregnancy. So that was my mandate to my husband that he needed to go over to Subway and get me my turkey sandwich. I ate that thing like it was steak and lobster, (laughs) y'all. It's so funny you say that. <laughs> for my I used to love Subway for my daughter's birth. <laughs> literally, I think I had just pushed her out and I looked to the left and one of my good friends walked in with a Subway sandwich and my husband was like, I called her. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. So I my feel you. Right. <laughs> oh, this is- and moms are always like, oh, I want sushi. I want my Coke. <laughs> All the stuff I couldn't have. Right, nope. now. right now. 
I earned it. Oh, no, I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, and it, it's so, it, the golden hour at a hospital, a golden hour at a birth center, I do feel like they're different. I mean, you, you get that, that, um, that skin to skin if, as long as baby's doing well, but there are nurses still coming in and out. Um, I don't think there's the same, there's not the same ability to kind of just sit in it when you're at home or at the birth center. Um, so that's beautiful. So it went exactly as planned, except for the aftermath. Now the aftermath, that was a whole nother situation. Right. Now tell us about your postpartum experience then. As Ooh, hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. Okay. So here it is. We are now leaving the birth center, maybe what, four hours later, which everybody thought was bananas. Like, oh my gosh, why would you? Well, actually nobody knew. Okay. So my baby was born the day before Thanksgiving. We were praying that she would be born after Thanksgiving so we wouldn't have to tell anybody. But the fact that she was born the day before Thanksgiving, we had to tell people because they would be expecting to see us on Thanksgiving. So, cause I, I had no intention of telling anyone. I just wanted to be and processed and just be by ourselves and chill out, right? When I got home, I was I was totally in pain. So my some gland was swollen, right? I forgot what it was called. And then that whole stitch situation, it was just extra pain. And then the actual breastfeeding experience was excruciatingly painful for me. And I remember throughout my postpartum being in every mom group on Facebook I could find. I went to, I had three lactation consultants come to my house and I was like, she just took a chunk of my nipple, y'all. Like she keeps like, like this is crazy. And through it all, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I had mastitis three times, 103.5 degree fevers. I thought I was going to die. And you know, here we go with the stories that nobody wants to hear. I had a girlfriend who's a, a operating room nurse say, oh, we had a patient that had mastitis. We had to chop off her breast. I'm like, why? Would you tell me that? You know, like, here are the things, once again, you just don't tell people. Do not divulge extra horrible information when I have mastitis right. talking about somebody's boob that you chopped up. You know, it just doesn't work. When I first came home, I'm Jamaican, right? So my mom and my grandma ended up coming over the following week, and they decided they needed to wrap my belly, right? The bind my belly. So I didn't have a binder. So they took a sheet and ripped it, and they put it around tight, 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 and then they pinned it, right? Like, oh, you know, trying to get that, that Jamaican snapback going, right? And then they put me on top of a Home Depot bucket filled with hot water and herbs and something to sit on. And they put a fleece blanket over me. And I'm like, what are you doing to me? Like this, this ritual initiation, hazing situation. I felt like I was about to pass out. I'm like, what are you doing? They're like, oh, it's to get all the stuff out and make sure you don't have fevers and all this stuff. I'm mm -hmm. like, I know nothing about this. Like now after the fact, I see stuff about Yoni seeming and stuff, but mm -hmm. I had never heard of this. And I was like, is this witchcraft? Like, what are y'all doing to me? 
taking care of you. Oh my god! Oh my god! Keeping the body warm and taking well, care of you. Well, obviously, right. y'all with no explanation. Right? Y'all should have been texting me to tell me what the heck is going on because there was no pre-warning. They're like, "Sit." I'm like, "What?" I'm I'm still in bed, you know. Like, so it it was rough, pretty much. The only time I would see my daughter is when she was hungry, right? Mm-hmm. Because otherwise I was just so exhausted, so in pain. And then when she was yeah. in, when she was hungry, she was screaming. So our first couple of weeks of bonding was horrible because I hated this whole breastfeeding thing. And yeah. then I had the guilt. My husband would tell me breast is best, right? So then I had this guilt that I, oh, I got to keep to this because the Similac is bad and blah, 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 blah. But after a while, I said, F it. You know what I mean? I'm like, forget this. We we done paid almost $500 to the lactation consultant. My nipples almost fell off. You know, this isn't fun anymore. So I started yeah. pumping and I realized that one of my boobs didn't have any milk in it. I was like, maybe that's why this baby is so angry, right? <laughs> so, like I'm here switching boobs and there's nothing in this situation. There's nothing in this boob. So that was, that was, that was something. So I remember the night that we gave in to one of those little Similac samples because mm-hmm. she was screaming too much and I just... I just didn't have it in me. And then she drank it and she was good. I was like, yo, listen, I survived on powder. You survived on powder. We're smart people. I believe we're smart people. We do well in life. It's going to be okay. You know what I mean? Like our daughter's not going to die. So I I pumped for maybe four months where I kind of gave her something, you yeah. know, but then after that, I was like, just, just, just forget this whole thing. I, I don't want to be the slave on the boob. For me, it was modern day slavery. It, it wasn't a good experience. I didn't like it. Um, in terms of my midwife situation, she was the best. So when I say I feel like royalty, she would come to my house every week to check on me physically, to check on me emotionally. She helped us learn how to swaddle. She helped us learn how to change diapers. She, she helped us with everything. Yeah. She was my counselor. She was my shoulder. She was my person. And I just started to think like, yo, I am Beyonce and JLo. This woman is making me feel so amazing. I was like, and then when I think about it at the hospital, you're now, mind you, my doctor was my sorority sister. So she probably would have checked on me, but on, in a regular situation, you have six weeks by yourself and then you see them after six weeks, right? Like so many things happen in the first six weeks after a birth. And I'm like, that's just not enough support. So between, yes, my doula and my midwife, I just, I was just in heaven. And then also having an amazing husband. I'll let you know that he changed 150 diapers before I changed the first diaper. 150 yeah. diapers before I changed yeah. the first diaper. Yeah. I was whatless. <laughs> I was of no help <laughs> whatsoever. You did your part. <laughs> I mean, you did birth a whole human. It's fine. Uh, a whole human. It's fine. A whole human. You, could, you can never do a diaper change and we'd still not be even. Right. I love y'all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, crazy story, right? So three weeks in, my husband's in the middle of changing one of these 150 diapers. I'm in the bathroom coming out and he goes, babe, I need you. And he slumps down on the floor. His eyes glaze over. He had just put the baby on the changing table. I'm screaming like a crazy person. I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, what is going on? 
yes, I call 911, the EMT comes, he comes back too. And they do like a few tests on him and they're like, you're good, right? You're good. But you know, we see all those movies all the time where, you know, people say you're good when you're really not. So he decides to go to the hospital with the EMT, with the ambulance to do all the tests to make sure he's okay. My mom goes with him. I stay behind with the baby, which was treacherous, right? We there trying to breastfeed all alone. I'm crying. I hope my husband's okay. I don't want him to die. My mama's there. And so maybe three hours they come back and I'm like, okay, so what's the verdict? So he was sleep deprived and he needed water. I'm like, wait a second. So you go to the hospital because you, you sleep deprived and you needed water. I was like, so what did you do while you were there? He took a nap. I'm like, you got a nap? Hold up. You got a nap? Uh-uh. You see, this ain't right. Now, how is it that he gets a nap? I need a nap. I'm not getting any sleep. This baby wakes up every hour. Every, every 15 minutes, she wants some milk. He got a nap, man. I tell you, that was a point of contention for a minute that he got a nap, okay? And then my he mom left us the next day after a month of being with us. So all of that together was bananas. Oh, he got a nap and fluids. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> this right. Exactly. Uh. I did want to um, go back, I think, when you were saying, deciding about like your nursing journey, where you were going to go. And I do think we, we put a lot of pressure on um, our parents that it has to be a certain way. And I think sometimes we do leave out the sanity piece. Like, we don't talk enough about the, the journey of breastfeeding and how it, it is. It's, it's its own journey. I think getting, you know, for some people, it just baby latches on and you're good to go. And for a majority of us, I think it does take a little bit to kind of get into the groove of what that feels like regulating your, um, the amount of milk that you're producing and also within that like healing. Um, and even as baby gets older and even as you're moving through that journey, like some people start to feel touched out, like it's its own separate thing. And I think we also have to be just as encouraging as we are about, you know, nursing is important and all the beautiful benefits of it that we're also supportive of people making the decision of like, I don't want to lose my mind today. And I also want to make sure my baby is fed. And that's just mm -hmm. as important too. So That right there. Let <laughs> me tell you, Laurel, every single time I'd reach out to someone and say, how long does it take till it stops hurting? They're like, ah, four weeks. Oh, six weeks. Oh, eight weeks. Oh, it never stops. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> like, which one is it? It's supposed to toughen and get a layer. I'm like, there is no layer here. She's chewed it all away. I'm like, I can't do, I can't do any of this. Like, just, just forget it. Just never mind. I yes. can't, I can't do it. It should never hurt. Nursing should not hurt. <laughs> oh, see, that is not what I was told. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> another thing. Right. So then they were trying to say my baby had a tongue tie. Right. So this is the most popular thing. It turns out nowadays to say your baby has a tongue tie. So they sent me on uh, the lactation consultant sent me to this, um, you know, whatever, not a dentist, but you know, the special dentist. And yeah. he's like, oh yeah, definitely a little bit of a tongue tie, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh really? How much is it to fix the tongue tie? Oh, like 1600 on the spot. We could do it 10 seconds. You're good. 
I'm like, really? I'm like, but isn't that just called your frenulum? You sure that she has a tongue tie? Are you sure about that? And so we got a second opinion and the other person's like, ah, you know, a little bit of a tongue tie. So when they left, you know, there was this beautiful black lady in the office. And I said, now look, you tell me the truth. Okay. What, what's going on here? She was like, girl, your baby just fine, right? So, <laughs> so what, what's so crazy is that I was over obsessed about this whole tongue tie thing, but then they say, you know, so this will help you to breastfeed better. I was like, wait, this is just to help me breastfeed better? I'm like, I don't need to breastfeed, just forget it, right? <laughs> like, if I'm paying $1,600 just to breastfeed and my baby doesn't really need it, like, never mind. And I remember going to the pediatrician for a follow-up visit, just her regular visit, and I asked about the tongue tie. She said she doesn't have a tongue tie, and if she did, i just do it right here in the office, no charge. And I was like, wow. So in between this time, I almost spent $1,600 to fix something my daughter didn't need fixed. And if she did, she could have done it for free at her regular doctor, you know? So just the uneducation of this whole process and introducing new things to spend money on, like people will just put you out there and sell you things you don't need. So yeah, that was also a part of my, my process. With nursing, there is just so many layers to it, but one thing for sure, it should not hurt. Wow. So. Yeah, they didn't tell me that. They're like, it'll hurt at first. And then I'm like, I felt that sucking down to my toes. You know, it's like a a lightning bolt goes zoop. No. I don't like this. No. No. It should not hurt. Mommy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, thing that has also been born out of her beautiful life is the book Princess Zara. So, can you talk about that a little bit? The, the process of how that came about and what that is. Sure, sure. So, when my daughter Ava was turning three, I wanted to do a birthday party, right? Like all moms, you want to do a birthday party at school. This was her first birthday party, so I knew it had to be good, right? And she would often watch this cute little white princess on TV called Princess Sophia, you know, and we watched all 150 episodes. I'm like, okay, this is an awesome little princess. She's cute. But then when it came to her birthday, I was like, you know what? It's a little strange for me to have Princess Sophia as her birthday. I'd rather have something that represents my my daughter that looks like my daughter. And when I started to look around, there was just nothing with a little birthday princess, black princess on it. You know, and some people say Tiana, like Tiana, remember Tiana is like a teenager, right? And I couldn't find anything for Tiana. I was like, okay, so is there anything? There was nothing for a princess. My daughter was into princesses. There's so many little girls into princesses. I'm like, this is ridiculous, right? And so I decided, okay, well, maybe I'll create a character for her, just for her to see, seeing that there's nothing in 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 the spectrum. So even when we went to the doctor, the doctor would hand her a sticker and say, hey, baby girl, here's my favorite princess. And it was always a white princess. And then when we went to... Um, Macy's and Nordstrom's and Kohl's and we went to the children's section. There's Elsa, there's Anna, there's Peppa Pig, there's Vampirina. But where is someone that looks like my daughter? No black princess pajamas, nothing. So I couldn't buy any of it. Like you can't find it. When Halloween rolls around, once again, I was like, this is crazy. For a three-year-old, there was nothing to fit her. Like, yeah, there's Shuri from Black Panther, but once again, doesn't really look like the princess that she's, she's, she's going for, right? And there was nothing in terms of Tiana for a little girl. So I was like, okay, I need to do something. So I said, I'll create one little character picture for my daughter, put it up in her room. Now, what's crazy is I went to lunch with a girlfriend who was white and my daughter and our husbands, and I'm showing my daughter the picture of Princess Zara. I'm like, hey, baby, what do you think? 
And she looks at the picture and she looks at her hand and she looks at the picture and she looks at her hand and she goes, mommy, I don't want this one. I want the other one. I want the white one. My girlfriend starts crying. I'm tearing up. I'm like, I didn't even know it was that deep. So now when you start to think about that black doll versus white doll situation from back in the day when all the kids chose the white doll as prettier, smarter, better, I don't think it was because their parents necessarily said it because I've never said that. I have friends from the United Nations, you know? I really think it's because it's not represented in our mainstream media and it's not cool, right? So every little girl isn't trying to be blank, but every little girl wants to be Elsa and Anna, right? Everybody loves Frozen. So just like my little baby girl wants to put on a blonde ponytail to be like Elsa, I want all the white little girls, all the Hispanic little girls, all the Asian little girls to put on some Afro puffs and say that they're Princess Zara, right? There should be some equity in the way we represent. There should be nothing weird about it because if it's not weird for my daughter to slap on a blonde ponytail, it's not weird for your daughter to put on an Afro puff, right? That that really is what it is. So I'm seeking to create equity. So I'm on a mission, y'all. Ooh, a mission. Hallelujah. So it's starting with the book, Princess Zara's Birthday Tradition, right? But really what this book represents is the first step in a movement to become a cartoon on a major network. That is the dream. Yes. Yes. On a major network, like a PBS, right? For her to be the lead and only star, of course, with her wonderful Jamaican dog, Ziggy, right? But really (laughs) being able to have something that little girls can all look up to because it's not okay for just black girls to look up to her. I want all girls to look up to her. So she's cool. Mm -hmm. And just imagine my daughter was too when she was choosing the white one. So just imagine the psyche of our children and how they see black girls to black women in our society. So this education starts young and it starts now. So I'm excited. Um, We hit number one bestseller on Amazon. Really excited about that. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, So, you know, yes. So now I've, I've been challenged to now create birthday plates and all the things, you know, while I seek to get picked up like to not wait on it so I'm working I'm working on all the things of the t-shirt line we have and all that stuff but it really is about representation and parents and moms and aunts and uncles and cousins and friends have been tagging us on Instagram and sending in pictures of kids that are saying you know what this, this princess is like me. This is me. And for the little boys that read it, they like the story. The story itself is about family traditions, you know, and with everything going on in the world, research shows that families with traditions are more resilient and they bounce back faster, quicker, better. So overall, I'm just excited. <laughs> yes. I know we've had the same conversation in our house. Um, I have a four-year-old and very much into all the Elsa's and Frozen's and all of that. And, you know, trying to make sure she has things that look like her that she can be excited for. And it's, and like you said, it's not that those conversations aren't having, aren't being had on a daily basis. Like we are very much like, like it's beautiful girl. Right. Um, all day, every day. Right. All day. I love your skin. Yes. I love your hair the yes. way it is. Right. But it's not cool and it's not represented in the same way that the Elsa's and the Anna's are. And so for her, it's like, well, I want to be those characters because everybody else is being those characters and they're cool. And um, so very excited for princess Zara to take all the way off. Yes. Yes. 
And just think about it with Princess Tiana. She was a frog for the majority of the movie. Like That's so true. Like that's bananas. So and and somebody actually wrote an article recently. It's the majority of the characters of color were animals for the majority of their movies. I didn't even realize that. But wow. now looking across the landscape, I'm like, you are so right. So all of that is just all jacked up, you know, hence me wanting to be a PBS cartoon. Okay. Well, we are sending forth for that to happen. (laughs) Please and thank you. Support the movement. Get the book. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So is there anything else that you would want to share with listeners, resources, advice, anything else from your birth, anything else about the book that you want to leave them with? Um, just that your birth is your own, you know, so whatever stories you hear, that's someone else's story. So be clear about your story, embrace your story, you know, and have fun with your story. I see throughout my, my whole process, the times that I took on other people's thoughts, other people's beliefs is when I didn't feel good, when I felt sick, when I wasn't well. You know, from the beginning, I didn't like breastfeeding. If I just put that down right there, I would have had more fun with my daughter, you know? From the beginning, you know, but because I was so concerned about what my husband thought, what my mother thought, what my cousin thought, what my friends thought, what the people thought about me not breastfeeding. Because, you know, that's always the question. Are you still breastfeeding? You know, it's best. Even the the childcare lady was like, I hope mommy, you know, that you're still giving the milk. You know, the milk is the best. I'm like, oh my gosh. So just being able to be in tune with what you need and standing up for yourself is 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 really where it's at you know and in terms of resources um if you're considering a midwife ask for referrals you know ask ask around if you're considering a doula ask for referrals you know pretty much it's a referral based business so definitely look into it watch the business of being born no i'm not getting paid for promoting that it's just a really good conversation piece with um, your significant other about the entire process and have them watch it with you because then it's hard for you to convince after the fact. So it's just better that you go through the process together. And if you do have someone to go through the process with, commit to the process together versus doing it alone. Because I'll tell you with men, you know, when they're not a part of the process and they feel like they're on the outside, so then they disconnect, right? So just being able to keep them connected in this process and remember that they're there to support you. They should be there to support you or call them out to support you in this process. And it's okay to feel supported. Otherwise, you know, follow me on Instagram. You know what I'm saying? On the gram, I'm at Inspire Many. Inspire, I-N-S-P-I-R-E-M-A-N-Y. Inspire Many. If you want to follow my journey through love, life, and all things good. Um, And Zara and Ziggy, the website is ZaraAndZiggy.com. Yeah, that's good. Yes. And we will make sure all the tags are up and things are in the show notes. So there will be no excuse not to jump on that. Um, But thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, for creating Princess Zara and sharing that with us. Yes. Um, We are always very thankful for our storytellers. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. I definitely didn't think this would be the book I would write as a love coach. You know what I mean? I thought I'd do a relationship book, but you know, passion and purpose 
definitely supersede everything. And this is just something that I believe is missing in the world. So I'm on, I'm a mom on a mission, baby. Yes. On a mission. Yes. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 